Hello and welcome to the first ever Sinclair Fitness Podcast. In today's podcast, we'll be covering one of my personal favourite subjects, programming for hypertrophy. In other words, how do we put on as much lean tissue as possible? Do we simply just waddle into the gym and make it up as we go along? Or do we have a well thought out precise plan to ensure that we yield the best gains possible out of our training? So I want to say B, you want to have a well thought out plan. And it's this plan that I want to talk to you about today. So I want to make this extremely clear. There is no such thing as a perfect program, just perfectly applied principles. And it's these principles that I want to discuss today. I want to outline the thought process. So where do you start? Okay, the best place to start is something called specificity. Specificity is kind of an obvious one, but it's being specific to your goals and outlining the individual in front of you and how that goes into your planning. So for example, we've already kind of outlined our goal. We want to build muscle, add tissue to the frame. All our further decision-making will branch out from this singular goal. How we execute exercises, the exercises we select, how much volume we do, how many sets, how many reps, how long it takes to recover from it, okay? Second is the individual. Now, not everyone responds the same to training. We know this, there's an inter-individual difference between sexes, between ages. So something I wanna outline that's extremely important to understand is the difference between your biological age, so the number on your driving license, and your training age. So you could have a biological age of 20, but have a training age of two. So you've been training consistently for two years. It's this training age that really determines the one of the biggest inter-individual differences. What we know is if you're completely new to training, you know, like a sponge, you'll put on this, a lot of tissue in a very short amount of time. And then what you'll see is plateau maybe after six months or a year. Everyone has their own genetic seeding. And the closer you are to that genetic city, the harder it is to get a gain. So for example, if I was an elite level sprinter and I wanted to shave 0.01 seconds off my, my 100 meter time, that could take two years of training. Well, if I was completely new to sprinting, I could probably shave off seconds with a good bit of sprinting. So it's an appreciation that the first thing we need to take into consideration with any individual is how is their training age. Um, if someone's got a very advanced training age, they're gonna need, need more advanced techniques, drop sets, supersets, they're gonna need more work, more volume. We're gonna have to get a little bit more cute and complicated. For me personally as a trainer, if I'm working with a beginner, my programming isn't that complicated. There's nothing that needs to be complicated. What what If you're new to training, if you're new to the gym, what you need to focus on is execution technique and doing the basics properly. If you're more advanced, then you're gonna to have to start using more advanced techniques. So the technique we use, essentially, we wanna divide our trainees into, are you a beginner? That's zero to six months. Are you intermediate? That's six months to two years. And then advanced two years beyond, okay? That's the first part of specificity. Secondly, sex. Um, women aren't just small men, believe it or not. They have different hormonal profiles that will affect a, a certain amount of our training thought process so obviously men have more testosterone testosterone buys to androgen receptors means you can build more lean tissue so men can build more muscle than men men tend to recover um not so quick actually women tend to recover quicker than men that's because the more muscle you have the more weight you can lift therefore the more fatigue you can incur 
while women tend to um, recover a lot better and uh, have much better endurance than men. And, and one, the most important thing with women is understand that their hormonal profiles are different. So with women, we need to take into consideration the menstrual cycle. So essentially you have two hormones that peak depending on the phase of the ovarian cycle. So you have during the first phase, the follicular phase, we know that estrogen peaks. Now estrogen is actually quite a good thing. It uh, binds to androgen receptors in tissue and can be quite anabolic. And then what happens in the luteal phase or the second part, when we start to shed that endometrial lining, is progesterone peaks and estrogen goes down. And this is where women don't feel as good. They don't feel as strong. Um, and what happens is their, their core body temperature increases. So in fact, they burn more calories. So for example, if I had a woman who wanted to lose weight, what I would do, I, we would identify where her like second phase of the cycle was and I would give her more calories, essentially. So this is take, this is an example of taking the individual in front of you. So that the, the, the first principle when it comes to programming is specificity to the individual. We also need to consider injuries and body types. So I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. So not everyone fits every single exercise. There are some people, due to the morphology, the length of their limbs, the cars they've just simply been dealt to them, that can't do or shouldn't do certain exercises, or even the exercise itself targets a different part of their musculature. For example, your classic, I would say, lanky person, you know, they're all limbs, they're tall, they're slim. You try and get them to squat, it looks more like a good morning, they're bending over. A lot of that sheer force is going through the, their back. This needs to be taken into the consideration because not everyone has the same skeleton. So it's programming for the, for the training age, for their sex, for the skeleton and finally for the if they've got any underlying injuries now as a personal trainer my job isn't to fix injuries when it comes to pain that's not my remit it's a physiotherapist remit but it is my job to put a physiotherapist out of business by not injuring my clients and bulletproofing my clients so if a client walks in and they've got a laundry list of injuries my first thought is you need to go see a physiotherapist firstly and i need to communicate with them but then we need to consider okay so you've got a history of back pain can we strengthen your core and should we should avoid exercises that stress the lower back like deadlifts romanian deadlifts can we adjust it so this is what i mean by specificity it's just you can't take a generic program and apply it to everyone you need to take into account the individual so i'll go over this again i covered training age sex morphology and injury history and obviously goal but because this is um, hypertrophy training we've already identified our goal so that is specificity. Okay, second topic, something that I really, really wanna hammer home. Okay, another thing to consider. I don't really care your, how complicated your periodization scheme is. I don't care how many sets and reps you're doing. I don't care how elaborate your exercise selection is. One of the most important things is your execution and your technique. You know, if you're always getting injured, it doesn't really matter about your program. And if you're not creating enough intensity or intention within your hypertrophy training, it doesn't matter about the exercise selection. So what I mean is I can make four sets kind of challenging and get an okay stimulus, or I can make two sets extremely intense and challenging and then walk away and get yield more hypertrophy, more stimulus. So there's a really important principle to understand that is creating internal focus when it comes to adding more muscle to your frame you want to make it precise and challenging so let's take a bicep curl for example i want i want to go to actual failure proper failure so this is really cool study and it always makes me laugh when i read this study so i took a bunch of your typical 
sports science students participants divided them into two groups and the, the aim of the study is to do people actually go to failure can people precisely can people precisely self-describe when they go to failure or are they cutting themselves short so the study was they, they divided these people into two groups and one of them was like self stoked you're gonna you're gonna go to what you think is failure and we're going to record that. And the second group, you're going to go to what you think is failure. And then we're going to scream and shout at you and make you do more. So what happened was the group that failed did 10 reps. And the group who were pushed and screamed at by their assistants went to like 19 or 20 reps. So this study really outlines that generally people are quite poor at, at knowing when um, they go to failure. Now, going near failure or proximal to failure is one of the key mechanisms for driving hypertrophy. So if you're if most people are bad at understanding when they go to failure, what it tells me is most people do not push themselves hard enough. You need to know what it's like to go to real concentric failure because this creates the largest stimulus possible. The people who put on the most tissue are locked in and they absolutely torture the muscle with some precision to the point where they can't lift their arm anymore. We've got this psychological mechanism called the central governor theory where unsurprisingly the body doesn't want to be in too much physical discomfort so it puts on the emotional handbrakes. You probably felt it, you go sprint as high as you can and your body goes whoa 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 stop what you're doing what you're doing. If you really want to put on some tissue and you're an intermediate to advanced trainee, you really have to learn to push into failure hard, okay? Most people do not train hard enough. Know what it's like to go to failure. Find an exercise that's appropriate for failure, like a bicep curl or a leg extension or a hamstring curl, and just push yourself to the point where no matter how hard you try, you cannot contract your fibers anymore. Also, when I'm talking about execution i'm talking about tempo um now what's often said is our tempo yeah increases um muscular tension which i don't know what that means but what why 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 tempo is important in controlling the weight is you want to remove inertia essentially if you if you suddenly launch the weight up if you can imagine doing a bicep curl and you you contract as hard as you can what you're doing essentially is throwing the weight the weight becomes weightless for a temporal amount of time as the weight becomes weightless that means there's no tension occurring on those motor units so there's no stimulus so what you want to do is contract that muscle as slow as possible and as hard as possible let's say i've got 10 kilograms on my bicep curl i want to make that feel like it's 100 kilograms and i just a little caveat you don't want to have a contraction that's beyond four seconds so somewhere between one and four seconds you want to squeeze that muscle as hard as you can remove inertia from it therefore the motor units do the work and there's more mechanical tension okay so the point i want to make is control your tempo work hard to failure okay and don't get injured and the best way not to get injured firstly don't lift like a dickhead don't flip your body around use body english be precise what we know is you can actually create a hypertrophy stimulus with anything between one and 30 reps i repeat one and 30 reps so it tells us that weight isn't that important what is important is precision and what you hear a lot is progressive overload progressive overload that's the main driver of hypertrophy it's like yeah yeah maybe but i think the message that gets lost is add more weight add more weight add more weight you should never have to add weight at the compromise of your tempo your technique and your internal focus every single rep should look exactly the same apart from the last one or two where you're going to get a velocity slow when your muscle fibers are trying to contract as hard as possible and you're reaching fatigue. But you don't want to just add weight to the bar and then fling the weight around because it's progressive overload, okay? Execution 
and proper technique and removing inertia from your lifts will yield much, 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 much better gains than flipping around like a dolphin, okay? Okay, let's get onto the sexy stuff. Let's talk about sets. Uh, so sets, reps, uh, rep ranges, volumes. Um, there's a lot of research that's gone into this, actually. It's a really interesting discussion going on in the evidence-based community about comparing two methodologies when it comes to... So when I say volume, I mean the total amount of sets you do per body part per week. So for example, I do 10 chest exercises. What's better? 10? Is it 20? Is it... Is it over two sessions? Is it one session? Is it three sessions? Um, because there's such an inter-individual difference, for an individual, it is absolutely impossible to say. Unless you do the same exercises every for a year round, eat the exact same food, sleep the exact amount of time, and have the exact same stress. Um, the, my methodology is I want to hit every body part twice a week. If I really, really, really want to push a body part, I would hit it three times a week, but I would keep everything else at two times a week. So I like to hit every body part twice a week. As far as the total amount of sets, I like a low low volume, high intensity approach. So what I said previously about creating internal focus, you can make two sets a lot yield a lot more gains than four sets of half-arsing it. So I think I do five sets of chest on Monday on my upper body day, and I do another five sets on Thursday and then you want to divide your body part so if you have a body part that you want to bring up compared to everything else what I would suggest is you have two options you can either add more volume on that day or you can add an extra day or frequency it is really impossible with clients to really identify exactly what is the right amount of volume just by looking at them the only way is to do a call and response with their programming so what I mean is I like to think of like volume like this for a body part i'm a chef and i'm whipping up a tasty meal and unfortunately where it says salt is slightly smudged i know there's some salt that they need but i don't I'm sure how much salt so what do i do i take a tiny pinch of salt and i pour it in my dish and i stir it give it a little while and then i try it see how that tastes and then from that i make a decision on how much more salt now maybe that is the perfect amount of salt because we're seeing good results maybe i that's not enough salt so i add a little bit more salt a little bit more so it's a very delicate technique and what you see with a lot of gym bros is they go in and they just throw a fistful of salt into their dish and guess what happens they the muscle doesn't grow because we know with too much volume too many sets you actually get a negative return so if there's a point where you get a negative return why would you go in and do smash 30 20 sets of bench press straight off the bat no no, no. what you want to do is you want to be controlled you want to be measured you want to put in a little bit of salt try it put in a little bit of salt try it putting a little bit of salt try it this is why i don't like just programming and leaving you know people to get on with it there needs to be a call and response you need to be you need to be your own scientist you need to create a stimulus do do some do low low volume chest exercises see how you respond if you're like oh that was easy i i, I can um i can definitely do another set yeah yeah if I add, uh, we add another set and then we add another set and then you will reach point where you go i know that's i can't recover from that and then you have a profile then you'll know like i know that i can't do more than 10 a week 100 percent, because i've been training for a number of years i've got clients who i know that their quads can't take more than 12 sets per week because we've we've gone and we've put that profile together over time there's been a call and response i've asked them to measure it subjectively then we've made a decision so this is what i want to say because um if you're familiar with mike isatel and the maximum recoverable volume methodology and the minimum recoverable volume which is which is basically this there is actually a number for everyone that that you can be precise with 
straight off the bat and that isn't true it doesn't work in theory because so many things go into your ability to recover um your sleep your stress your food the type of exercises not all quad exercises are the same some cause more muscular damage or more eccentrically dominant than others some are easier to recover from and this could be depending on the exercise itself and your own morphology some people because they're bigger and stronger they can cause more muscular damage so rather than having some kind of rigid methodology it should just simply your volume should be a call and response i would every single body part would start with two sets and then just add a set if you think you can do a set and you're recovering within 72 hours if you're recovering within 72 hours you can add a set if you're still recovering within 72 hours you can add a set if you're not recovering within 72 hours don't add a set because it the evidence does suggest that the more you can do the more you can grow but you need to find you need to put the effort into finding out how much you can do rather than just running out and doing as much as possible i think that covers volume intensity i covered so intensity it would be for hypertrophy training. I alluded to this earlier, but there's a very wide rep range. The evidence, it was a really good study um, that showed, it's very recent, I think the last five years, that you can yield hypertrophy as long as you go to failure, which I talked about before, as long as you're between five and 30 reps, um, which gives us a lot, a lot to play with. But the way I like to do it is the two major stimuluses for hypertrophy are mechanical tension, so lifting something heavy, and metabolic stress. So mechanical tension, so lifting, so lifting something heavy as well as accumulating tablites, so higher reps. So, you know, you can do different phases, you can do loads of cute, complicated stuff. Because these two adaptations are, there's two, sorry, I didn't mention this, there's two kinds of hypertrophy, arguably. There's sarcoplastic hypertrophy and um, microfibril hypertrophy. So you can either increase the fluid around the muscle or you can increase the muscle fibres. One of them is much better for strength, one of them is much better for just aesthetics and looks muscle looks bigger the point is it doesn't really matter both of these will make the muscle look bigger which is what our goal is for hypertrophy training okay so if both of these things make our muscle look bigger one of them happens at high reps one of them happens at low reps and they're compatible so we can actually create that stimulus within the same session and they won't interfere with each other the smart thing to do is to do both the same things in the same sessions so the way i set up my my my, my intensity was let's say i've got my bench press i will do two what we call top or heavy sets somewhere between eight and six reps i don't for hypertrophy training i'm a firm believer that there's absolutely no need to go into the one to five rep range we're not power lifters we, what we know is about very heavy sets is they cause a lot of neuromuscular damage and fatigue which is going to take a long time to recover from like if you are into aesthetics and bodybuilding doesn't matter how strong you are it's kind of irrelevant it's like no one cares about your one rep bench so don't waste your time what you want to you want to be strong but it's probably better to be stronger but in that eight to six rep range okay so you've got two or one sets what we call top sets where we're trying to drive that microfibril hypertrophy and then we've got some back off sets so we've got somewhere between 12 and 15 so we're getting the best of both worlds so we're getting stronger we're, get, we're getting we're getting stronger and we're getting more fluid in the muscle and then therefore we yield just more hypertrophy um altogether there are some exercises that aren't conducive to like lower reps or like you shouldn't really be doing low reps on bicep curls or what we call open chain 
exercises where there's more what we call shear force. So shear force is just tearing force. If you can imagine like a tearing a bit of paper in half, when we lift the weight, the gravity you're you're pulling the weight up and gravity's taking it down and the joint is is experiencing something called shear. Now shear isn't bad, but too much shear is bad. So if you go and jump into a leg extension and you try and do your one RM on a leg extension, you're creating so much shear force. So there's some exercises that are very conducive to higher reps and some exercises exercises that are conducive to lower reps and just be aware that what we call closed chain exercises so your squats your deadlifts your big compounds are much better for lower reps and while higher rep exercises are your more open chain exercises exercises like bicep curls isolation exercises okay okay that covers sets and reps um let's add on to this so we've got our we've taken our individual into account we've identified that we're just going to build up on volume we're going to identify that We've identified that the best kind of sets and rep schemes are a mixture within the same sessions. There's no need to do any phasic approach when it comes to hypertrophy training. One of the most important things is monitoring. Um, a lot of people don't monitor. So what's what's monitoring? So monitoring is basically testing as you go along. So you can make the most informed decision you can based off the information presented by you. So when it comes to hypertrophy training, which is the ultimate goal to get as jacked as possible, it isn't just about lifting weights. It's about how many calories you're eating per day, how much protein you're eating per day. Also, you grow when you rest. So are you sleeping well enough? What's your digestion? What's your total stress level at allostatic load? If we measure all of these variables, then we can adjust them because you can't manage what you don't measure. If you ever want to know how the pros do it, the people who succeed do it, they manage and measure everything that affects their, their outcome. So for my clients, what gets measured is obviously how much they weigh, visuals, but then beyond that, everything affects that. So calories, protein or we, we look at biomarkers so we always want to be measuring fatigue in some way um overtraining is a real thing and you can reach a point with training where you actually have a negative feedback you have become so stressed the system is so overrun that it will no longer put on tissue and it'll prioritize other metabolic pathways so we want to avoid overtraining and the way to overvoid training is to measure total stress or allostatic load so there are a number of different ways subjective stress stress is fine so you can simply every day you fill in a tracking sheet how stressed do i feel how sore do i feel from one to ten and then you also want to be looking at your logbook if you are trying to put on tissue you should be getting stronger not every session but you should be progressing every session every session you should be getting stronger if those numbers start going down and then we look at your subjective measures like how motivated are you to train today? How sore are you trained today? These are going down. This is telling us that you're overtrained and it's time for a deload. So this is an example of monitoring. Another thing we can look at is objective measures of fatigue, like your something called HRV, which is just the space between every single heartbeat, which tell, tells us, is your body in a parasympathetic, parasympathetic state or a, or a sympathetic state? So is it in a stress state or is it in a rest state? Obviously, a little bit of stress isn't bad, but the, we want that f switch to go from you're in the gym, you're smashing it, you're listening to heavy metal, you're caffeined out of your brain, you create your stimulus, you're in that you're in that sympathetic mode, that, that fight or flight mode, you want to fight, and then as soon as you as you leave the gym, the switch goes, you're in that parasympathetic state for the rest of the day. Um, this will yield much better gains, and we can actually objectively measure this through something called your HRV. Okay, you can use either a heart rate strap and an app or uh, a ring um this is monitoring 
this will inform our process. I mean, I could go on for ages. There's lots of like hormonal profiles you could use. You could use force plates. We can get into loads of geeky sports science stuff. But what you should be doing with your hypertrophy training is monitoring, okay? Am I going in the right direction? Is everything working like it is? What are my measures? And it can be something very simple like subjective measures. It doesn't have to be something complicated like an objective measure. The main things you're looking out for are Am I stressed? Am I sleeping right? How's my digestion? And then from there, we can adjust the program because you will never write a program or a program will never be written and it will be perfect for you, tailored for you. There does need to be a call and response. And we also need to look at things outside of your training that will affect your training. And this is monitoring. Okay, cool. So this is going to be the last bit. So this is actually exercises. We're actually going to talk about exercises for hypertrophy. Exercise selection will depend on your individual goal. Um, there are no must-do exercises. I'm going to repeat this. There are no must-do exercises. Also, hypertrophy training is not just power powerlifting with higher reps. There are a few exercises that are held up on a pedestal that are like non-negotiables and must-dos. So that squat, bench, the deadlift. No. You don't have to do these exercises and these exercises might not yield more hypertrophy for you specifically. So the thought process that goes into exercise selection is your your anatomical individualities. Like I said, for example, not everyone should bench press. Like, for example, the bench press, your, your hands are fixed, so you can't rotate the wrist how they would naturally. Not everyone has a thick enough rib cage, so they have to go down super low and they have to go into something called their passive range so this is passive range is simply where you the weight is pushing you into that rather than your neuromuscular system controlling it the, that can be problematic and um, create injuries because you can't create stability around the joint so you want to select exercises that are conducive to your your body type essentially and there's no way of knowing that without a proper analysis or a coach in front of you as far as like hypertrophy training goes you want to have a combination of dumbbells and machines. The good thing about machines is they're stable and they're precise, okay? And you want to take a biomechanical approach to your exercise selection. So what I mean is when when it comes to hypertrophy training, you want as much stimulus as you can get for that full range of motion. So if you can imagine doing a bicep curl all the way through that range, I don't just get hypertrophy like globally to the muscle. I get it in specific regional areas. And the reason you get hypertrophy in regional areas is because there are areas where the weight is lightest and the weight er, parts of the range where the weight is heaviest. Okay, I'll repeat that. 10 kilograms is not 10 kilograms for the full range of motion. So with a bicep curl, it's kind of, it's light, light, it gets heaviest in the middle and then it gets lighter as it gets to the top. Now I won't get into the why because it gets all geeky and biomechanical. But I have an appreciation that very few exercises have something called a congruent resistance curve. So what we want, we want tension through that whole range of motion rather than the partial range of motion. So you know this, if you do a squat, a squat is the heaviest at the bottom where the quads and the glutes are the most stretched and it's lightest at the top. In fact, you could stand with 300 kilograms like unracked on your back like for hours the second you try and go down to the bottom probably not getting up from that squat so what we want to do is we want to create exercise programs that that stimulate the muscle through the full range of motion so how do we do that well there's there's, there's two ways you could put exercises together that have a full resistance profile so let's talk about the glutes we know that the romanian deadlift which is one of my favorite glute exercises stimulates the glutes in in the most lengthened position 
okay as we get to the top it gets lighter so we need an exercise that stimulates or the muscles that the weight is the heaviest in the shortened position well there we then we can have a um a hip thruster okay cool so we've got hip thruster and then we've got romanian deadlift okay i said twice a week didn't i so let's have let's have let's have hip thruster on monday romanian deadlift on thursday and what else did i say i said we want to have a mixture of rep ranges okay so how about Romanian deadlift, you want to do six to eight reps, six to eight reps, and then 10 to 12 reps, and then the same rep scheme on your glutes. And I will guarantee you that will build your glutes. And what you do is you keep going with that. You keep going. You don't change exercises when you get bored. The only time you change exercises is when you don't progress anymore with good form. You absolutely milk that for everything it's worth, okay? And that's how you yield hypertrophy. So let's take another example. Uh, the lats. We want to work the, the lats in the most lengthened position. That would be like a pull down where the, where the weight's the heaviest. Great. So let's put pull down. Or let's say Monday. Okay. Let's put um, what's a good lap shortened position. Let's do a pull up. Okay. There we go. So it's a biomechanical approach. So we're, we're, we're under, we want to try and create as much stimulus as we can for that full range of motion. And we can only do that by combining exercises or there's another technique where we can get a congruent strength curve. For, for example, I'm on the leg press, which is a great quad exercise. We band that up. So when we band that up, that means it gets heavier as we get weaker. And it's a biomechanical approach to um, exercise selection. So the, the, what, the point I want to make is you need to get out of this must-do exercise um, mindset that you know there are no must do exercises all exercises are made up if you know what exercises are made up of you can manipulate them a little bit more because the problem with personal training and coaching it's become a little bit like um, choreography oh it looks right it looks you know it's more like a dance move than really understanding what's underneath the hood and it really takes a a coach's study biomechanics to understand what's under the hood a program for the individual and the individual needs Anyway, I hope this helps. This was about programming for hypertrophy, the thought process that goes into it. Peace out.